Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 544 with Harlan Scott. You know, equity is, is, is tricky and a lot of uh, employers offer what they call ghost equity or profit share, which is really not equity at all. I've had a lot of friends run around town calling themselves owners of restaurants and they are not. They are going to get 5% of the company after four years of indentured servitude. They end up getting fired long before that or getting burnt out. People use the partner loosely and I think... As much as equity is wonderful, I, I think it's a very grave sin that a lot of employers commit by dangling that uh, you know earned equity as a way of underpaying and overworking a key employee for a couple of years and then using them up and spitting them out. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore. And today's incredible guest, as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cash flow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable so with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest harlan scott my man harlan are you feeling unstoppable today i'm feeling it Yes, that's what we like to hear. So Harlan Scott has been in the hospitality community for almost third or sorry, 20 years and played a leading role in eight restaurant openings and several reconceptings. In the past years, he has guided the growth of restaurants that not only survived but thrived into several unique locations by creating systems and finding the right people. Today, Scott is the proprietor of industry located in San Marcos, Texas. In addition, Scott is the founder of Harlan Scott Hospitality, where he helps people make their dreams profitable scalable while simultaneously improving quality of life for the owner and employees obviously we're just scratching the surface harlan i can't wait to learn more about you and how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us well um i have to say uh, be authentic uh, to a fault which i know is not hard for a lot of us in this business it comes naturally um, but be consistent I know that is a little bit more difficult. Um, and then surround yourself with, uh, with people better than yourself. Um, and I don't mean that uh, you're not good and, and they're better, but you seek out people that, um, that make you a better person. And if you have those people in your organization, um, you can't fail beautiful way to get this thing started and i just finished listening to a conversation you recorded about a year ago so i know this is going to be good when i know you have great advice locked in there in your head uh but let's kind of just start to 
find out how you got into the industry and kind of work our way into where you are today and what you got going on. So where did it all start for you? Um, you know, I, I don't think um, many people that find themselves a front of the house manager ever said, you know, I want to be, I want to be a restaurant manager when I'm a kid. Um, I, I was drawn to this uh, the way a lot of us were. I, I wanted to be around people. Um, I had a, a knack for, you know, being the host, being the, uh, the center of attention. And when you're younger and you get that first job, you know, what better way to, to be on stage every day uh, than, than wait tables yeah. um, and, and, and make, and make instant money. I mean, we, we got into this for tips, right? In, in my back of the house colleagues, you know, um, their motivation is always a little different. They got in this because they, maybe they like to create, they like to cook. Um, they're, they're more artists um, than they are entertainers, uh, so to speak. And there's a um, very similar, but a little bit different. So I, I, I wanted to be a waiter. Beautiful. Uh, so you took, what was your first gig? How'd you get into it? Um, well, I mean, my first gig, and I, I did last time I did this a recording like this, I didn't mention this. My first gig was a, I was actually a checker at a grocery store because <laughs> I was too young, I was too young to wait tables, so I left that part out of my career. It's not on my uh, lifetime resume. Um, but the first place to give me a shot was an actually actually Denny's, uh, uh, Denny's restaurant. And if you haven't ever worked in a corporate environment, I think everybody should, particularly with restaurants, the the, the best practices of, you know, um, you know food handling and, and customer service, um, you, you're less likely to, to pick up a more, um, you know, regimented education doing that in a mom and pop. And so I was really thankful for this. I'm 17 years old. I'm, I'm in high school. I'm busing tables and uh, just begging the owner. And this is, I mean, classic old school owner. She's usually smoking a cigarette and drinking a coffee in the back of the office. And I think her name is probably Flo. And I'm just begging her to wait tables. And she finally um, lets me on the floor before I'm 18, which was kind of a gray area. And uh, I loved it. Um, I had, uh, I had even, um, you know, I got accepted to college fairly early in my senior years. At this point I'm phoning in class and I'm working doubles at Diddy's <laughs> diner, um, you know, just serving coffee to drunk people and um, you know, making a whole lot of money, still kind of a lot of money today. If you think about it, we were making, over a hundred dollars in a shift uh, in, in the late nineties and you're in high school. Um, I mean, it was, it was blowing my mind. I was addicted. Nice man. Uh, so when did you have the conversation with yourself where you wanted to be maybe more like, this is your path. This is your lane. Like when did that conversation happen or? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause I think again, most of us uh, going down the front of the house path have to, um, we have to have a serious conversation with ourselves at some point in our early adulthood and say, okay, am I doing this to kill time? Or as I've said in my previous one, I, I've taken a left turn in life and maybe I'm not going to be, uh, you know, a, a doctor or a lawyer or the things that I, uh, you know, pretended I was going to be when I was a kid. Um, you have to say, wait a minute, you know, am I going to be in the restaurant business, you know, my, my whole life? And for me, that moment was in my late twenties when I had, I had basically taken off time from college and, and spent enough time in a restaurant group that had been probably five years since I'd been in school. And, um, that, 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 uh, career with that company ended. And I was like, this is my chance to, to go back and do the things that made younger me and maybe what I thought would make my parents proud. Though I mean, they're, they're very proud of me, but, um, I think the, you know, the more traditional, um, life path, you know, do I go back to that? And, you know, I looked at my, uh, I think my girlfriend at the time and I said, you know, I'm, I'm just really in, um, I probably use an expletive here, but I was, I was like, I'm really freaking good at this. Um, 
And even though it's not as glamorous as, as those careers that we all thought we were going to do, um, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to stay in the restaurant business because I love it. Um, and that was that was right before I moved to Austin to kind of restart my career um, a second time. It's probably 28, 29. We can just skip over. I feel like uh, when you're at Texas A&M, you... You had an experience one, with one person that really saw something in you. Take us through that that interaction, this this manager or this owner who saw something with you or in you and kind of invested in you. If, if I, I believe I'm remembering the, your yeah. story correctly. No, you, you got that right. And and that could easily be something I look back and say, that's the owner that got me sucked into the business and ruined my <laughs> life. Um, and, and just the other day, I was uh, talking to a, um, one of our, one of our uh, kitchen managers, and she said, uh, yeah, you know, my son... Uh, you know, he just, he wants to cook too. He said he wants to work in restaurants. I go, don't let him do that. It's a disease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't let him catch it. But uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a fun affliction, right? But uh, this, this is me. I'm 23 years old at the time, probably. And uh, I taken a semester off, which was soon to be, um, you know, taking off forever. And uh, I'm just, I'm working full time, waiting tables and the owner, you know, came up to me and he's like, Harlan, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and not in like a critical way. He's like, really, what are, what are your plans here, man? Um, you know, because, you know, I have plans for you if you want them. And um, that's when I, um, you know, took the pay cut of waiting tables to be, you know, an assistant manager. And um, that I was, I was lucky to be in an explosive organization uh, at an explosive time for restaurants in that town. And I grew very quickly from, you know, being assistant manager of one of their restaurants to being general manager, to being general manager of two, to us opening a third location and then my title changing to director of operations, which I think I came up with my title that came up with that title myself. I got to pick it. It was either that or COO or, you know, biggest badass in my college town. <laughs> so like, um, really like this experience was like your, your big splash into the industry. I mean, you dipped your toe in yeah. serving. This is when you have responsibility where, you, you know, you're creating systems, processes, procedures, mentoring, and really, uh, you know, shop, sharpening your teeth. Uh, what did you learn from this first mentor? What did this, was it a him or, yeah. or her? It was a him. What, yeah. what, did, what did he teach yeah. you? Man, man, it's, 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 uh, I appreciate you asking this. Um, cause I do like to, you know, as I, as I go, if I, as I go backwards, um, I certainly look at the, the, the two main dudes I worked for and the impact they had on me. And, uh, I learned that, um, you know, success in the restaurant business, uh, you know, people that are charming and outgoing and, um, you know, uh, can be engaging with people. Um, they're, they're a dime a dozen. We all got into this business for that reason. Uh, we're naturally gravitate towards it. Um, but those people, um, you know, oftentimes, you know, all, all my friends are always like, man, why, why is the service so inconsistent in Austin? Why is it bad here? Why, how come I can't ever get, you know, um, the same experience wherever I go? And like, well, you got to look at the individuals that get into this business. We are, we are a, a creative dynamic, but oftentimes undisciplined, um, and, uh, group of people. And, and a lot of times our passions for, uh, the boring things like, uh, numbers and, um, you know, uh, an early meeting like we're having today. Yeah, thank you so um, much, by the way. Yeah, uh, it's eight, we got on the call for uh, eight AM for Harlan, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you. Keep going. And doing doing those adult things um, that people find boring, or maybe find corporate, are the things that really separate, um, you know, the kids from the adults, and and that is the only way. I think you could find success um, in the restaurant business is by is by practicing the disciplines that um, a lot of you know, th- those of us that go down the traditional dichotomy of college and working in a corporate, 
you know, environment, we, we take those things for granted, but in the restaurant business, we, we fly by the seat of our pants and this owner did not, you know, we were scrutinizing numbers and food costs and labor costs. And I'm 23 years old and I'm, I'm becoming an expert at Microsoft Excel, uh, which later I, you know, tends to be a huge part of my consulting. It's just having an aptitude for that stuff um, that uh, a lot of people unfortunately never learned. Um, so the number side the discipline in creating the systems, uh, particularly for growth, it's one thing if you're a mom and pop and you want to do everything, you know, on a notepad um, and verbally communicate your culture, but that, that doesn't work um, when you grow. And I, and I got to be a part of that growth young and see how important creating those, those systems um, and, and those disciplines work. Beautiful. And one, one other thing I want to pull from this story, this part of your life, uh, was that this owner saw something in you and he approached you. He said, Hey, what are your plans? Uh, and, you know, what are you doing? Because I, I got plans for you if you don't have any. I think it's so important for mentors to really just shine light on the people in their strengths and to really let them know what they're good at. And otherwise they'll never know. You can't just expect people to want to take on more responsibility. You've got to, you know, let them know like, Hey, you're really good at this. Like you have a a future in this industry if you want it. And I can help you get there and to be the opportunity for these people and to be the mentor and to really to, to to blaze a path for them or just to clear a path for them. And I, I feel Mm -hmm. like that happened for you. Yeah. I want, I want to touch on that if you when, when you get a chance. Yeah, go for it, man. Um, you know, uh, something I've, I've, I've recognized in the past couple of years is, is my ability to identify um, future managers. And a lot of times they're the people that are really difficult to manage. Um, and as an employee, I was, shoot, I got written up, sent home. I was always pushing the envelope, butting heads with management. And the, the day that the owner offered me the position of being an assistant manager at his sister restaurant next door, unbeknownst to him, the general manager of his main restaurant had fired me that morning. And I forgot about this because it all happened so fast. Um, <laughs> the firing was never official. I had literally gotten sent home for the shift and knew I'd never come back. And, um, you know, the owner recognized that I wasn't meant to be in a position of uh, a cog in the wheel. Um, I was not going to be able to keep my mouth shut if I thought things could be better. I was not going to be able to work inside a system that maybe I thought was inherently flawed. And um, the, these, you know, I, I, I have people that have worked for me that my other management, my lower level management feel threatened by. They want to fire them. They want to get them out of the organization because they can't manage. As I said to one of them once, you're, you're a big supernova and people get near you and they get burned and, and managers don't like those kind of people, or at least I think weaker managers that or they feel um, threatened, you know, right? They feel threatened. Yeah. And, and um, you know, very recently someone that I work with um, has, you know, dipped their toes in the water of management uh, with my mentorship. And I was a big risk uh, for me because I kind of, you know, put my name on the line to get them a job. Uh, as a manager, ha- having known the frustrations that they caused uh, as a line level employee in my own organization, and he killed it. He killed it, and and he left that company, and you know, and they you know they begged him to stay, and, and now he, um, you know, he's working for me. And um, but that's happened to me many times in my career, and I think that's something that this this mentor, um, unbeknownst to him, he taught me something about myself, and taught me to take a chance on people that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we think they're difficult, but maybe they're difficult because they're dynamic. Yeah. And it listening to you talk can help but think of what you said when we got this conversation started, where it's a matter of surrounding yourself with people who are better 
passionate than you are uh, just surrounding yourself with good people. And when you find somebody who's who gives an F, that's hard to come by in this industry. So they might be hard to, to manage, but that quality of giving an F is so hard to come by. You, you got to lean into that. You got to give that person a vertical to to contribute if you, feel, if you feel like they can. And that's kind of sounds like what you've done and what this person did for you. And uh, why be threatened? Like, wh- why should we be threatened by people who have passion, who want to contribute? Right. It's, it's we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Yeah, it's like, it's like it's like caging a wild animal, you know, caging a bird and it wants to fly. And, um, you know, you you may get hired in an organization in a position where you're caged and, and that's just natural. That's where you start. And, and it takes um, your management above you to recognize, hey, this this guy needs to be out in the wild. This yeah. guy needs to be in a leadership position. This this young lady. Um, and so that's exactly. So what, hap- what, what happened where you came back to Austin or you moved to Austin? What was the reason for that? Well, uh, we, it was my first, um, you know, um, I've, I've had many failures in my life, uh, to, to build on and, and, and lead to, um, more meaningful successes. And this was probably the first one. Uh, we, we opened a, a really progressive upscale steakhouse, um, in, in college station, Texas. This is in 2008. So we opened just in time for the economy to plummet, um, in a town that, um, you know, I, I think we're about five years ahead of our time as far as design, service style. Um, I, I think we opened the best best damn place in town, but the town did not appreciate it. And we started taking good money from the other restaurants, putting it into bad. And at this point, I'm at the, I'm at, I'm at the top of the food chain. I'm the highest person in the company that doesn't have the same last name as the owners. And when, when that happens, you know, you're the first to go. And um, they, they downsize for lack of a better word, but the, my close friends under me, the general manager of beef restaurant, which one was my girlfriend at the time, one was like my best friend, we were all gone. And, uh, so the company kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? It, I mean, it shrunk and we were all out of job. And that's when I had that conversation uh, with my girlfriend. I was like, well, do I go back to school now? You know, do I go back to school and finish that poli side? You're 27 years old at this point. Yeah, I'm 27, 28. I'm like, do, do I go finish and get my liberal arts major? That's going to pay me probably less money than waiting tables. Or, you know, um, do I stick with this? And, um, you know, side note, I had made some good investments with the money I'd earned. I had like a little bit of, you know, you know, real estate and some things that I'd done that didn't make me feel like I was totally treading water. And, and I know that's not what this podcast is about, but that has been so, so important. No, this is exactly um, what this podcast is about. Uh, dive into that. Well, I mean, maybe after you finish your story, but the, the, the importance of having multiple channels of revenue to not put all of your eggs into one basket. And when things are good, don't go change your quality of life. Go create a, a backup plan, right? Like that's totally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, when I was 22, I was waiting tables and I, I, I saved up money and, and, and bought a house at 22 years old. The same, the same month I was dropping out of school, which I didn't call it dropping out at the time. I thought I was taking a semester off. Little did I know, uh, you know, a dozen keg parties later and a couple um, run-ins with the law, I was not going back. <laughs> but uh, I bought this house and, and that became immediately a, you know, a passive income stream for me. And I, I kept buying a house here and there. And, um, and then, you know, when you have those moments in your life, I mean, I, I lost my job again two and a half years ago. And you're like, well, shoot, a lot of people define themselves by their paycheck, you know, or to quote my favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, they, 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 this, their uh, income statement affluent, they, they define themselves by the income they have coming in, not their balance sheet. And, and so during those transition periods to have 
um, have something to show for all that money I made, not just experiences, but actually a uh, cushion to give me the ability to make calculated decisions, not hurried decisions. Because, hey, I can't pay rent next month. I don't have another job. Um, that has been key to my emotional stability as I've made decisions in the restaurant business, knowing that, hey, this one wrong move is not going to start me back at zero. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's been my foundation from, from day one. But anyhow, back to... Uh, the situation at hand, we, we, uh, my friend, my girlfriend, we, we moved to Austin and they immediately, um, found ways to get out of the restaurant business. I want to, um, I want to tap the break real quick, Carlin, cause I want to, I want to bring it back. You were talking about your, your mistakes, uh, your failures with this restaurant group. Looking back at that time, uh, Maybe the, you said the restaurant was a little ahead of its time. The service was a little ahead of its time. Uh, knowing what you know now, looking back at that situation, what would you have done differently uh, to recover the situation or to avoid it altogether? What would your what would your plan of action have been if you could go back in time and do it all over? Uh, you know, and, and keep in mind, you know, uh, I I was a part of this opening. I was certainly not leading it. I mean, I was in the sense that I was leading the company, but you know, I was I was definitely doing the bidding of the owner and, and I don't, and I don't fault him. I, I think I probably would have done the same thing at the time, but what did I learn? Um, one, I mean, don't spend too much money. Uh, I mean, if, if you can find a way to bootstrap things and, and not over leverage yourself to get to the finish line, um, it's a lot easier to succeed once you're open. Um, other thing is, is definitely knowing your uh, location and knowing your community um, and making sure that your concept makes sense. I mean, I know that's, gosh, you hear that from every restaurateur, location, 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 but you know, the timing, timing was so key. Um, um, where we opened, the time we opened, the community we opened in, we were, we were not the right fit for that, for that community. And, and my, my big thing was, was, you know, I felt I was much, very much the face of that company. I was kind of the PR guy too. And, and I tried my, my best to, you know, connect, with the community so they would come and visit my restaurant. But at the end of the day, it wasn't my restaurant. I, it was the owners. And, and now that I've opened this new restaurant um, and, and, and a community uh, that's similarly close knit, I'm, I'm, I'm being mindful of that, that I can put my ego aside and make sure that I, I come out of the gates with humility and appreciation for every human being that walks into my business and gives me money. Um, I'm lucky to have them. And even if they're coming in there and they're drinking the drink that I think is not that creative and they're drinking the, the menu item or even the menu items that aren't that exceptional. They're here. And, um, I, I gotta, I gotta make sure that they leave happy, um, and come back and nothing else matters. So you moved to Austin. Thanks for getting the detail at that. Uh, great lessons pulled from that experience. I appreciate you. Uh, so you moved back to Austin. Uh, what was your game plan? How, how are you going to find a job? What was going on? Well, I, I, they moved to Austin immediately. I waited a little bit, did a little consulting in College Station. I, I had a pretty deep network there, and I was reluctant to just jump out of it because um, I've been there for shoot seven, eight years. And I waited till uh, the, the perfect Craigslist ad. Uh, I mean, responded to, to dozens of them, but I ended up interviewing um, for a general manager job um, of a of a hot new restaurant that had opened in, in downtown Austin, and. Um, I, I kind of went in there blind because I'd responded to so many ads. I didn't even know who I was talking to. He happened to be the the new one of the you know most talented new chefs uh, in the city, making a name for himself. And um, you know he picked me as a general manager. And 
I'm just a, you know, conservative boy from College Station. And, and he's like, are you ready for this? You know, you're, you're going to be the general manager of, you know, uh, you know, this, this, this new restaurant in downtown Austin. It's going to a different world. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, I've been running a major restaurant group. I was making good money um, and had a great quality of life in a town with, with low cost of living. And I was a big fish in a small pond, you know, and I came to Austin and took a GM job, which meant locking the doors every night, making, you know, making less money and being back in the trenches, you know, washing dishes when they get in the weeds and plunging toilets and, and going back into that. And I'm, I'm in my late twenties. And I, and I talked earlier about how important it was to have that foundation, whether it be a relationship that you're in or, you know, uh, a financial cushion, uh, to say, hey, yeah, I'm doing this again. I'm I'm plunging toilets again and working 65 hours a week. I'm not going backwards. This is just a part of the journey. Um, and it was really easy for me to have that inner dialogue with myself because I felt that I had I was still building up my little empire, um, you know, uh, on the side, if you will. So anyway, I'm, I'm GMing this restaurant. We, um, you know, 11 months later. Uh, you know, we opened um, a little pizzeria behind that restaurant. So now we have two restaurants in one building. And then a year later, we opened a third restaurant. I'm like, oh, my God, it's like my career all over again. I'm repeating myself. And we, um, you know, now I'm director of operations. We have three restaurants. And then it was four. Uh, and it was five. Um, and I saw the future coming because of what happened last time. And, you know, here we are. We're getting big. I'm in a very vulnerable situation. I'm, I'm making more money than um, anyone in the organization, but I don't have equity. Um, and, you know, challenges are continuing to arise. And uh, I started to see myself eventually becoming a liability in this organization, just like the last one, because I created uh, a functioning um, business that ran on autopilot. I created the systems for it to run without me. I created uh, the culture that now was much bigger than just myself. It was it was, it, it sustained uh, to a degree without me. And, and I, um, I, I started, you know, I asked, I asked for more and I, uh, I didn't get it. And I was, I was out. I was no so longer in You asked for more equity or sorry, more cash or did you look to get some, some equity in the business? I, I did actually, I, I remember, remember distinctly saying, I'll take less cash. Um, I would like equity. Um, I don't, you know, this time I'm, 34 years old or 35 and I'm like, you know, I don't want to be looking for a job in my forties. Um, and at that time I'll have a wife and a kid or whatever. And, and I'm looking for a new job because I got in a random argument with the owner. I need to protect myself. Um, this is, you know, I can't go on continuing to build this empire, um, with no insurance policy. And it's really awkward talking about a prenup with someone you've already been married to for six years. And that was a conversation I had to have. It was like, you know, and he's probably thinking, why buy the cow when I get the milk for free? And, 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 and that was the logic and, um, I'm oversimplifying it. I'm certainly not, uh, you know, showing any animosity towards, uh, him. I mean, he was the second greatest mentor in my life, or it was the second one, not the second greatest, but, um, the other owner that I learned so much from and and I think it ran its natural course and he, um, in his infinite wisdom probably realized it was time for me to, spread my wings. Yeah. That's what happened. Curious about a couple of things. First, uh, after going through the process of being a part of a successful restaurant group and learning so much and then getting the chance to to start from scratch and do the same thing again, what things did you do differently the second time around uh, from mistakes you learned the first time around? 
Yeah, yeah. A, a big one I did was, um, and I teach this all the time to my lower management, is is be your own cheerleader. If you're doing awesome stuff, you got to tell people. I mean, I don't mean, you know, put it on your Facebook and, and send out an email daily of your accomplishments. But if you're really good at your job, a, a lot of the things, if your company's really humming along, uh, that's because of a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes that people don't see. That's how good you are is that it just happens. Uh, well, that's great and all, but, um, you know, if, if your owner doesn't know what you do all day, um, that's not good. Um, hell, it's not good if your staff don't know what you do all day. Um, you have to find a way to champion your causes and, and, and show off, hey, look at this amazing spreadsheet that I created that saves all of my staff 30 minutes a day closing the restaurant. You know, look at um, this awesome software that I researched that we're now using for payroll and, and, and whatever it may be. And I, I made sure to do that so much more uh, with this second organization. So you're saying uh, uh, don't, I mean, it's good to, to do, put your notes down, do the work and just get the job done. But at the same time, it sounds like just communicate uh, because mm-hmm. if you're, you know, uh, yeah. if it's kind of like a, a duck in water uh, above water, everything's calm, cool and collected, but below water, their little feet are moving faster than ever hustling to get the job mm-hmm. done. But nobody sees that and you kind of get taken for granted. Uh, but how do yeah. you do that without boasting, without coming across as if you have an ego and uh, your shit doesn't smell to put it bluntly. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, uh, I still don't actually know the, 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 the final answer to that because, you know, ultimately um, I, I feel I would not have left the company. Um, I didn't leave of my own volition and I, I probably would have stayed had I somehow effectively communicated my value uh, even better. But I mean, you said communication, right? Yeah. And, and as a leader of the organization, um, there's so many means to communicate with staff. You have your in-person meetings, you have your emails, which can get tricky. You don't want to send hundred emails a day to your staff. Um, but um, it, by creating material, whether it be training material and creating documents um, and, and spreadsheets and things that help the company help you, I'm basically giving staff tools to do their job. And they knew I created those tools. Um, it didn't say published by Harlan Scott on the bottom, but, you know, it, it might as well have. And so giving them the tools to do their job and, and communicating with them about what's happening in the organization. You know, um, one of my clients I, 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 I uh, finished working with and they were using me for a very small part of their company. They're a, they're a multi-million dollar company. I'll just say Kirby Lane Cafe. It's a great restaurant group. Past here guests in on the show. They, yeah, they yeah they do not need my help as far as culture and, and, and operations. They brought me on to help with uh, you know creating a beverage program for them. But one of my favorite things about this company, and I'll get to my point here, is uh, they practice something called the Great Game of Business. And this is um, a, uh, a leadership uh, course uh, book you can read. It basically, it basically teaches you know you know a major company to involve their line level employees in the granular financials and going on to the restaurant. And a lot of, a lot of employers don't want to, don't even want to sh- disclose the sales each night to the employees because they're afraid that they're going to think, Oh, the empl- you know, the, the owners are getting rich. Oh, we sold a million dollars last year. How come I'm not getting a bigger paycheck? And uh, you know, Kirby Lang takes the opposite approach and they, they would put each employee um, you know, a bus boy would be in charge of dialing in the paper goods purchases each each month and they would sit and go over, all right, we saved, you know, $10,000 company wide on, you know, lemons because someone took ownership in it. So they were so transparent 
And that, and that's what I, that's what I was getting to being transparent with the people below you about um, what makes the company run and what, what you've put into it to, to get to where you are. Uh, how can that, how can that hurt you? Uh, if, if they, if you, you're giving them empathy, you know, uh, and empathy is different than sympathy. So empathy is sympathy because you understand that you've been there. And uh, now I'm doing that now with the, the restaurant I open. I mean, I make every employee watch this cheesy seven minute video on what it costs <laughs> to run a restaurant. So they know at the end of the day, if I'm scraping two pennies together out of a hundred and putting it in my pocket, I'm crushing it. I love, uh, I love okay. talking to people like you, Harlan, because in 545 episodes, it makes me realize I've actually learned something. Because uh, when you, before you started uh, going using this example of open book management in the great game of business, I was thinking to myself, it sounds like what is going on here is it's kind of like, like open book management in the sense of like you explaining pe- to people why you're doing what you're doing and you're showing them the numbers and you're showing them results uh, and how to uh, let people know of your value. What you're saying is just do open book operations. Like this is, this uh-huh. is the new create. This is a new process I created. This is a new procedure I created and this is why I created it. And this is what's going to happen when we leverage. This is how much time we're going to spend. This is how much money we're going to save uh, or sorry. This is how much time we're going to save, how much money we're going to save. And you're basically just, you're not just saying do this because I said so, but do this because this is going to be the result and you're educating and you're also showing your, your value in doing so without boasting You're you're educating. Yeah. And, 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 communicating with people, just taking the time to tell somebody this is the why is an act of love. It shows that you care. And one of the things I teach um, my staff in our, in, our, in our training is communicating with the guests is so, so important. People just want an explanation. If you don't give them one, they're going to come up with one. And it's going to be all wrong. and It's going to be on Yelp. You have to just let a customer know what's going on. Why can't I bring a dog onto the patio? Why can't I smoke close to that door? Why is my food taking 30 minutes? And most operators fail uh, to let the customer in on the why. They, they, they are afraid to be genuine and be authentic, which I talked about in the first se- second of this podcast. And being authentic and, and telling people maybe a little bit more about what's going on behind the curtain can only help you. And it helps with, with managing your staff and it helps with managing your customers. Because you're training customers and you're managing customers and teaching them how to act uh, in your restaurant. Awesome. I love it. Did you say Kirby was a, a, a client of yours or did you, was that the second company you're working for? No, they were a client of mine. Um, they, when I started my consulting company um, after leaving um, my, my second major job. And so that was, that was okay. That was called Parkside Projects. That was the restaurant group I ran in Austin uh, with our chef owner, uh, Sean Serkeel. And uh, that was my big career here. And I left that organization uh, in 2016 and started consulting. And one of the, um, you know, I had lots of clients that brought me on for more of a restaurant impossible bar rescue type aspect where they needed the whole kit and caboodle uh, to, you know, dial in their operations. And, and Kirby Lane is, is an organization that I would aspire to create, not someone that I feel I could probably help um, on that, on that global scale. Um, and they, uh, you're going to love this. My, my Roomba just kicked off and I got a robotic vacuum cleaner now running around my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we can, we can pause for that. Go take care. No, of that. Um, that? But, uh, <laughs> no uh, so I got, I, I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, get to sit in on, you know, some of their meetings that maybe didn't always apply to what I was working on. And I got to see, um, cause they have seven locations and I got to go to all these different stores and sit in on their meetings with their staff and, you know, a majority of their staff, and, and this is the majority of my staff at the place I've opened, are 22 years old. 
you know, they're, they're, they're in high school or early college and they are looking, they're, they're learning what EBITDA is. They're learning about profit and loss statements. Um, and, um, you're you know, empowering your people. I think we, we don't, we just put people into jobs and we don't give them any responsibility. We, we, we sell all these people short and there's so much potential there. We can grow them and make them people of value and then use that value uh, and hopefully, you know, help them go on to do to greater and better things. But we, we definitely don't use the full potential power of our people uh is what i'm hearing You're from right. you and uh, oh i just yeah. wanted to let the folks know if you guys uh, want to learn more about mason air and kirby uh cafe he's episode 477 so head over to restaurant slash 477 you can check out that episode it's a really good episode uh the other question i want to ask you before we move on to more present day what you got going on uh you said uh sean was your second greatest or you know your equally great second mentor what were some of, the, some of the key things that he taught you that you hadn't really been privy to up to that point how did you see the world differently after working with this man um man uh yeah, i think one thing about about sean is is you know at the end of the day he's a cook he's just a cook you know and i was just a restaurant manager and he always liked to call himself that he's like i'm just a really good cook and but but that that's that mantra was you know he and I, I wish I could think of a better phrase for this, but he wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty, man. He, um, you know, worked the shift, worked the line when a lot of his colleagues had moved beyond that and were maybe enjoying the fruits of their labor by sitting at the bar in their busy restaurant. Sean was still in the kitchen, and um, you know, culturally, we were at our best as a company when you know. It was hard for him to be in four places at once when we had that many restaurants. But when he was able to visit every kitchen, um, that's when the staff were inspired. And, and, and I'm a systems guy. I like to create a culture on paper and communicate via email and in person and create like this kind of, you know, thing that permeates the whole organization. But Sean was so much more hands on. And his way of instilling culture was being physically present. And um, that um, the, I, I'll never work as hard as he did, you know, and. Um, and that was, that was what made it difficult for me as a DO is, um, you know, I've worked for owners where I'm clearly working harder than them. And that's great. That, that gives me job security, but you never had job security with Sean because he was working harder than everybody. So, um, and that made all of us work harder, you know? You're, um, and so you call it lead by example, you call it getting in the trenches, you know, he, he did those things. Um, but you know, every owner as well, um, and, I, and I'm talking about this now, now that I'm an owner and, I, and I'm a boss to 40 kids, um, they're going to learn things from me that they don't. And that's so important too. You know, there's things that my two owners did that I knew I wanted to do differently. And I'm so thankful. Um, and I'm not going to talk in detail about those random things, but I'm so thankful that um, I got to see what works and doesn't work as far as management and leadership style. And um, for Sean, uh, you know, the, the, I recognized um, wh- how one individual is not, unless they're just some savant, you know, Jesus Christ incarnate, um, they're not going to be capable of doing it all on their own. You need nope. different personalities and different skills. And there's things that I suck at. Um, and I think um, John was found success by surrounding himself with, with people that, we're better than him at certain things. That's what amazing leaders do. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's what a, a good president does. Um, and not talking about current political situation, but I remember when 
I was younger, um, I guess Bush, uh, 40, uh, the, uh, George W. Bush would get elected. And everyone's like, that guy's dumb. He, he can't talk good. I mean, he's whatever. And, and, you know, maybe so, right? Maybe, maybe he ain't the brightest tool in the box, depending on your politics. Um, you know, my family was fine with him. But one thing, he, he surrounded himself with people in his administration that were smarter than him. Yeah. And what, what does that say about a leader? You know, is you have the humility, uh, humility uh, to surround yourself with people that can fill in the blanks where you're blind. And, um, and some, some people saw that as a sign of weakness or that, you know, he wasn't capable, but I think that's a great leadership trait. And I don't know if Sean did that deliberately or, or by accident, but, but we had people in organization that were greater than some of their parts and definitely lifted him up. And um, I try and do the same thing. You know, none of that is a criticism. That is a, as a very genuine compliment. So real quick, I definitely want to leave time to talk about your uh, consultancy. Uh, some of the, the key takeaways from that. And then obviously we got to talk about industry, your latest restaurant. Uh, I'm really curious to know how you want to approach building this restaurant from the scratch with all the knowledge you have, and what, what approach you took. But one more question that's just like nudging me in the side before we move on. Uh, you ultimately left because uh, you hit a ceiling. Uh, you were ultimately going to be held liable for anything that turned south at this point, and you wanted insurance. You wanted skin in the game. Uh, why, aside from wanting skin in the game and having equity, why was that so important to you? I, I'm really curious about this because I have a theory about the future of, of the industry. And I'm just curious, is there any other reason why you needed skin in the game, equity in the business? Well, I mean, because it happened to me once before, first and foremost, I built up a restaurant group. I felt very much that culturally and operations why I was, I was the leader of, of, of a company um, um, working with this owner. And ultimately, um, all that was taken away from me in the snap of a finger um, and in the decision. Uh, and I was fired, you know, bottom line. I was fired both times. Yeah. Um, you can call it something different, but when you're told you're no longer needed in an organization, you're getting fired. And, um, and that sucked. And, and it had, it happened to me once in college station and I saw the future coming with, with Parkside projects. I saw it coming several years in advance. So I was looking for, for that and, and, um, that security, which is hard to ask for when you're so, so happy, so well compensated, loved my boss, loved my company. And you got to go in him and ask for more. Um, my mentors and colleagues in the business have been pushing me for several years to ask to have this conversation because in their minds, they're like, hey, he's going to get your soul out of bargain. He's going he's gonna to get your life and your heart for 3% of the company. Why would he not? Um, and, you know, to them, it was logical. Uh, to me, uh, working, you know, side by side in the organization with him, I had a feeling that probably wasn't going to play well. And, and I was right. Yeah. <laughs> so like that. I, I don't know, you know what you were looking for. There <laughs> so, no, the basically, yeah. I have this theory where there's a shortage of employees. Uh, there's a shortage of managers. And I, I feel like uh, this shortage is only working its way up the ladder, up the food chain. And now there's going to be a shortage of really qualified, passionate people to be our GMs, to be our directors of operation. And all the best talent, all the most passion out there is going to go to the the opportunities that offer them equity why wouldn't you right um and you're only going to get the best talent the most driven people that are out there if, if you offer them equity uh 
maybe I'm swinging and missing, but I've spoken to a lot of successful restaurants out there and there's three, four, five people that are partners in this restaurant. Um, and they're all, they're, they're the best because they're all, they all got skin in the game. Um, yeah, I, I, def- yeah I, I can, I can expand on that for you for sure. I mean, first of all, um, this is also just a, a, a byproduct of the climate we're in. I mean, in Austin, we have something like two and a half percent unemployment and, you know, again, my friends like, why is service so bad? Why is this? You know, you know, Austin, everyone's just a bunch of hipster stoners and they don't want to work. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's just not enough human beings in this town to fill these service sector jobs. For everyone moving here for the new six-figure tech job, there's not enough baristas to make their coffee. And the only way you can keep employees now is you can either pay them some exorbitant amount of money. I mean, there's, there's no amount of money that's too much to pay someone that's good at their job. But I mean, you know, cook wages have doubled uh, in the past five years. And and um, servers, you know, if I put a server right out tomorrow for a restaurant in Austin, it could take me two to three weeks to find the right fit. There's just not enough talent. And, and so owners are having to get more creative with ways to compensate um, their employees. And, and you can't just throw money at it. So what do you do? You, you basically reward them on the back end. You give them equity. Um, you know, equity is, is, is tricky and, and a lot of, a lot of uh, employers offer what they call ghost equity or profit share, which yeah. is really not equity at all. I've had a lot of friends run around town calling themselves owners of restaurants and they are not. They are going to get 5% of the company after four years of indentured servitude and they end up getting fired long before that or getting burnt out. So, um, you know, people use the partner loosely and I think as much as equity is wonderful, I, I think it's a very grave sin that a lot of employers commit by dangling that, uh, you know, earned equity as a way of underpaying and overworking um, a key employee for a couple of years and then using them up and spitting them out. Um, I actually see that, unfortunately, 90 percent of the time. And I, I, I rarely see equity come to fruition for any of these people that are in it because the employer. Oh, well, at industry. It's you and two others, correct? There's three. You have, you have partners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, was he a sole proprietor? Did he have partners? He was a sole proprietor. He had some investor. So, you're uh, seeing this transition in what you, why did you bring on two other partners? What was the sense there? Well, I, so, you know, I need money. Um, and, you know, my partners and I needed money. So, this, the way we open this restaurant is a much more traditional path. Uh, you know, Sean almost kind of did it on his own with a little bit of initial capital. And then, so when someone's coming around saying, can I have equity? You know, he's thinking, why? I, I don't need your money. So, and you're already working for me. So what's the point of giving you a part of the company that I, I, I created? I, I understand the logic. Um, but for us, you know, we needed to raise close to a million dollars to open a restaurant from scratch. And none of us were liquid. Uh, Cody, uh, my, my, one of my closest friends, obviously, we just opened a restaurant together. Um, you know, Cody owns a restaurant, which makes him, uh, you know, by very nature, not, not very liquid. You know, he's tied up in, in that. Um, and our chef partner, Todd, who's worked with him for eight years, you know, he didn't have a million dollars sitting around. So we went out and raised um, that money from uh, investors, uh, friends, some family, but a lot of people that I just consider uh, that, have, you know, been friends of ours in the industry and knew our worth. And um, man, when people me, are handing you over $30,000 checks one by one, that is a humbling experience. Let me hold and, you right there, Harlan. Cause I want to, uh, 
I want to reapproach this portion of the conversation by first, because I think it's safe to kind of skim skim over your consultancy. Uh, we know what you do. You help people uh, systematize and grow culture in their business. Uh, you take them from good to great. Uh, but yeah. with all the experience you have with these two restaurant groups, starting your own your own consultancy, teaching people how to do what you learned over the, the previous eight years or so. How did you approach opening your first restaurant? And I guess we're kind of right now talking about your partnerships or you know, your partners going into this. But how did you find these partners? How did you know they would make good partners? Uh, let's start there with the the concept, uh, where, how the concept came into your mind, how this partnership came together. And then yeah. we can then transition to how you needed to get the money. I feel like well, I want to set this up a little bit better. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Well, how did I know they'd be good partners? Um, because they... They came, they, they asked me to be a part of this. So, you know, there's no greater sign of trust and they're coming to me saying, Hey, be a part of this. You know, this, I didn't go out searching uh, for partners and I certainly didn't go out with the intention of ever opening my own restaurant. And I'll just, I'll repeat my, my line that I, that I said before, but you know, opening a restaurant generally means, you know, you're going to work a hundred hours a week. You're going to develop a drug habit. You're going to destroy a marriage or relationship and you're going to make 20 grand a year. <laughs> and, but you can tell people you own a restaurant and then that cool. And Worth that's, it. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And a lot of us, you know, get into this because of ego. I mean, we all have to have some ego to get into this. I mean, come on. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't believe in yourself and think you're awesome, why would you open a business? But, um, I think, you know, this, I think a lot of people that get into this, we're, we're praise junkies. We like getting recognized. We like making people happy and we get hooked. We're, we're, we're addictive people. We get hooked on the, the endorphins or the, the, the chemical reactions that happen in our body when people leave with smiles on their faces. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's an, it's an addiction, man. Uh, I yeah. totally get what you're saying. Sorry. Keep going. And so, yeah, and so when these guys, you know, Cody, uh, you know, had, had owned his own restaurant for five years. So he'd been in the trenches and, and knew what that was like. And I was fortunate enough to kind of be running a restaurant group without having that risk and that burden to take home with me every night. Cody understood it. And Cody believed in me um, and working together with me and, and he'd wanted to do it before. And his chef Todd um, had proven um, with the restaurant he had owned and they'd be able to turn things around there and put out high quality food and, and be profitable. And, and it, let's put it this way. None of the things they were bringing to the table were sexy. And that really appealed to me. Um, the, these were operators that had their eyes wide open um, about what it was going to take. And here I am somebody who's all about quality of life. That's all I'm doing for my clients is finding a way that the restaurant will not run your life. And Cody, um, you know, had a great relationship with who is now our landlord um, who showed us this, this place in San Marcos, which at the time was the fastest growing city in the country, the country. Okay. Um, now all of central Texas is, is exploding, but you have a, you have a market that's 25 miles south of Austin. Um, so we're talking about a commute that people make daily um, in um, a growing town and an underserved market. Um, you know, there's great restaurants there, but there's also um, more than enough places with burgers and beers and queso and, you know, how can we differentiate ourselves at a location that um, was going to be next to soon to be the, the second largest brewery in central Texas. And their hops and grain brewery is opening this 20,000 square foot brewery. And if you don't know what that looks like, 20,000 square feet, picture like a Budweiser facility. I'm talking about, I mean, something on a scale. I don't think anyone and my friends in Austin understand. They think breweries because there's a brewery in every corner here. They don't, I don't, I don't think they understand what we're saying. This brewery has a tasting room that's larger than our whole restaurant. And 
like most breweries, there's a food truck outside of them, right? And, and people are sitting out there drinking in the tasting room and then they go get some food off the food truck. Well, we're talking about opening a restaurant right next to this brewery's tasting room. We are that food truck. And it's the largest brewery in Central Texas. And I'm, and I'm saying, okay, okay. I've been in the chef fine dining game. I've been in the, the low profit margin, high overhead, overhyped, celebritized, foodie restaurant business. Um, I don't want to make five cents on the dollar and I don't want to work 100 hours a week. I want to open something that is fun and scalable um, and that I can use my systems that I'm so proud of to make this run on autopilot. Um, and when I say I, I mean, I say we, I mean, this is absolutely a collaboration. You know, Cody also, you know, wanted to do something counter surface, wanted to do something casual, keep it in the same game. Todd knows how to cook unpretentious, delicious food. He didn't want to put foam and soil on his food either. Um, so, you know, we were on the same page and, um, you know, one night, you know, for me, I'm a top down thinker until I can think of the name. I can't think of the colors, the food, the concepts, anything. And we're like, what are we going to call this casual counter service restaurant? Um, and by counter service, I don't mean order the counter and leave. It was more of a beer garden. We'll get more into the concept in a minute. Cause I do think it's very important and progressive, but you know, we're like, man, if we open this in Austin, I feel like we would get so much love. Our friends love us. We feel the support. We could get investors much easier. We could get all of our friends that ever cooked and waited tables with us. We could we get them to uh, invest like five grand each. It would practically be like a co-op. Hell, we call the place industry. And, and we we're just on the phone and we're like, call it industry. You know, that is this, that this embodies the, 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 you know, the people that built us up. It's, it's our personalities, our success, our girlfriends, ex-girlfriends, you know, all of this came from the industry and what well, we want to share that culture with people. And, um, and, and, you know, after a month or so it stuck and what industry means to, I believe means to everyone else that's not in the industry for my customers walking in now and looking at the look on their face. Um, they see industry uh, is, is emotionally reminding them of, a bygone era industry means hard work. It means lack of pretension. It means every day. Um, they don't think, Oh, service industry. They walk in, they look at the visual cues and go, Oh, someone built this for servers and cooks to enjoy the servers and cooks walk in. And it's a dog whistle that sets them off. They're like, Oh my God, someone literally designed an entire restaurant themed around my life. And, um, but for everybody else, they just see something that's humble and simple um, and authentic industry. And, um, you know, back to the concept, uh, you know, what we were trying to do is um, w- I look at the success of a lot of my colleagues in Austin and, and where they found their kind of what's really primed the pump for them in their first few years of business is the fact that they were beloved in the service industry. And those people are the ones that come out in droves the first couple months are open and pack your place. They want to go see what their buddy's doing and they want to support them. And then after they've supported them, they have the biggest mouths in town when it comes to where you should eat. I get a text once a day, Harlan, where should I go to dinner? And every bartender and server gets those texts from their friends or the customer at the bar says, Hey, where do I go? Where's a cool spot? Um, you know, they are, they are the insiders that are telling people where to go. And I'm like, man, if I can take care of service industry and take care of them first and foremost, you know, we, we can't fail. Um, we could, um, but it would, it would lower our, our likelihood. So as we started to um, design the space, Everything from the verbiage on the menu to the little cues in the restroom or in the hallway or, um, you know, some of the things on the walls and, and even the light fixtures um, are subtle. It's a subtle homage to the service industry. And it's unmistakable when you walk in. Um, 
But again, to a normal customer, we were able to thread that needle of having that design be what it was without also alienating people that aren't in the business. And I, I think we, I think we nailed it. And, um, and sorry, I'm just flowing here, but the, the other thing that was so, so important about <clears throat> this concept is that the menu be somewhat healthy. And I don't mean having a section called lighter fare or having a bunch of salads that just patronizes people and says, oh, oh, we put a healthy section. And then when you order off that section, you got to apologize to your friends for eating like a wuss. Like, no, I'm talking about a menu that you can eat at every day um, without it being your cheat meal. And, and this is where I think dining, um, this is where I really want to focus on here in this, these last few minutes is um, the future of dining and where and where it's headed. And before we and go to the future of dining, Harlan, real quick, I just want to reflect on some of the things you shared with us. Uh, you're not the first uh, guest I've had on the show who has created something specifically for people in the industry. We had uh, Zarif. I can't remember how to say his last name. It's really close to I think it's Dushin. Zarif Dushin from Employees Only in New York City. Or yeah, there's also yeah, yeah. there's also other uh, just in almost every city you go to, there's that one restaurant that everybody mm-hmm. goes to after midnight after one o'clock and it's all industry people and people want to go someplace where they they know there's going to be more people like them there they want to relate they want to have a sense of community they want to have camaraderie and if you're in a city that hasn't catered to this demographic of people uh they're out there they all want to they're all getting off work at the same time they all want to get together and they want to be relatable to other people it's a great a business approach not to mention you are constantly serving the the people, your future employees, right? Like you have, you can get a chance to network with all the industry people in that community. And I hate to say it, you can snag, you can steal, you can, you can get the best of the best. Um, oh, man. <laughs> is, that, is, is this stuff, is, has this crossed your mind? Is this, was this intentional? Uh, am I blowing up your spot right now? Like what's, what's going through your no, head? <laughs> no. I mean, it, it was when we, when we were hiring for this, um, it was so humbling and, and, and probably the most exciting part of the process that surprised me that kind of happened about three weeks before we opened is when we started hiring, you know, um, in Austin, it's impossible to hire. Right. Um, but in, in San Marcos, um, you have town that, um, either people may be underserved by their employers or they're underserved uh, as a customer. Um, cause there's just not enough places, um, um, that, um, are, are, are creating an impact uh, on the, on these people's lives. And, and my employees, you know, I'm getting, you know, a line out the door of 20, 22, 23 year olds that are coming to me and saying, Mr. Scott, you know, I've read about your organization. I've read your website, followed your Instagram. I want to be a part of this culture. I want to be a part of something meaningful and, and I want to learn from you. And I'm like, Oh my God, like the realization that, that Cody taught and myself are going to get to be the first boss for a lot of these kids to mentor 40 young minds. And I thought back to my job at 20 years old working for my employer and how it impacted me. I'm like, man, I'm not only going to be a boss, I'm going to get to be a good boss. And I'm going to send these people out to the world. They're going to be good bosses. And we're going to, we're not going to change the world, but I mean, what impact is that going to have on my industry that we celebrate um, the, um, the, the, the foolishness of, of, of our behavior in this industry, you know, the unprofessional things that we do, um, you know, whether it be the sexual harassment or the lack of professionalism or, or all the martyrdom of working 80 hour weeks and getting cheated out of overtime and all these things that, you know, we read about in the waiter rant and kitchen confidential. Um, we don't have to be like that. And, you know, I feel like I'm hitting the reset button in my business, you know, with creating that culture from scratch. And um, I mean, the, the reception 
from the service industry community coming into our establishment, either wanting to work there or wanting to eat there. I mean, they got it. Like, man, you build something and you hope everybody understands your message. And it's really a referendum on your personality. Um, and, 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 they, and they got it. And uh, they, they did all want to work for us, a lot of them. And I'm like, I'm not going to open a restaurant named Industry and then poach from all of my colleagues. <laughs> so that was, that was tricky. Um, but to the, um, to the future of dining, and this just real briefly, um, back when we were growing up, and, and Eric, I assume we're within five, ten years of each other's age, but when, um, you know, when we went out to eat back in the day, it's because you got a good report car. It was a special occasion. You put, put down a white tablecloth. You had someone wait on you to serve you food that you couldn't cook at home. And now the best food in the world is at Whole Foods. So going out to eat is no longer a special occasion for most of us. We're eating out sometimes 15, 20 times a week. You know, some people don't even keep food in their fridge. And so we've commoditized something that used to be an entertainment. Food used to be going out to eat as a form of entertainment. And now it's something that we just have to do. And more importantly, in this day and age, you know, we're on our phone. We don't even commute to work. And a lot of times we don't even interact with humans enough. And what people are looking for is a community space to be around other people. And so I'm taking away the barriers of, the traditional 90 minute scripts that you used to have to follow to get a good meal, you know, sitting at a section, knowing you need to be gone in an hour and a half, ordering in a certain order, having someone hover over you every five minutes asking how you are. There's a time and a place for that, but that isn't 15 times a week. And to be every day, not only does the food have to be um, satiating, but also sustainable for your body. It can't all be burgers. Um, you need to create an environment uh, and I, I say it's akin to the max on Save by the Bell or Central Perk on Friends. I want to create a community place um, that you can stop in. And the first thing you have to do is not talk to a hostess and be seated. You can do whatever you want. We threw a ping pong table in the middle of the dining room. You know, we have different varied seatings and energy sections at the restaurant, similar to what a cocktail bar would have. But when you're ready, go get some food. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's counter service. Uh Really, so you walk in, there's no pressure. You're not being directed uh, with arrows to, to walk up to the counter. Like how, how does that work? How does the flow of the operation work? So the way it works, and this is, this is key, um, you, do, you start your experience at the counter. When you, when, you, when you are ready to get served, you do not have a dedicated waiter. You start at the counter. But the thing that gets me with all these counter service restaurants, and this is coming from somebody in the service industry, is that moment of anxiety and confusion when you order at the counter and then they give you a bill and ask you to tip. Why am I tipping? I don't know if that person makes $2 an hour or $15 an hour. I don't know what service I'm about to receive over the next hour and a half. I'm just randomly adding money to this while they stand over me waiting for me to judge what they're worth. It's a terrible interaction. It's a terrible way to begin your experience. And every counter service restaurant does this. And I don't like it. And I wanted to change that. And so when you, when you order at the counter in industry and my set, my the way, the training, the verbiage on the menu reinforces this, you're opening a tap. Let me just, I just let me get your card and open your tap. Then you're free to move about the cabin. We'll come find you. We'll bring you food. If you need anything else, literally snap your fingers, flag us down. All my staff are trained to think like managers. They're empowered to walk around and recognize people's needs. If somebody needs something that badly, they can still get up and get it themselves, just like a cocktail bar. When you want another, you want another beer, you go up and get it. But if somebody randomly walks by and says, hey, can I get another beer for you? Or does your friend maybe want some more chips? And you're blown away. You're like, oh, yeah, thanks. This is great. Shoot, I wasn't expecting that. So we're under-promising and over-delivering. And it takes the pressure away from the customer of thinking that someone is actually waiting on them. 
because that, that actually creates pressure. Like, okay, now I have to behave a certain way. I have to be cognizant of the fact that someone's taking care of me this whole time while I'm on my laptop sending an email. Yeah. And, and, then, and then for our staff, they don't, they don't have to necessarily execute on a fine dining level because people can still get what they need without them. Yeah. So I'm curious, how do you, what systems have you created to track where the guest is? Uh, how, how do you make sure the food gets to the right guest timely? Yeah. Uh, there's any confusion. Is there any tips uh, on that that you can share with us? And man, we're already at an hour and a half of, uh, or an hour. Yeah. T- t- do you, your hard stop is at nine 30? No, no, I, I can, I can go over a little bit. Okay. Well, um, yeah, we'll try to wrap this up real soon and then we'll, we'll bust out the, sp- the fast speed round, but you're just dropping really great value right now, man. I don't want to cut it short. Sure. We can break it in two. <laughs> um, well, I mean, we utilize the usual tools uh, for tracking guests, but we definitely, you know, put our own spin on it. Um, when you, when you open up uh, your tab, obviously we're going to get your last name. That's instant. We swipe your card and um, then we give you a number and uh, you take that number to your table. And then when we bring you your food, we replace that number on your tab with a table number because now that, 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 that thing's gone. Now you're at table 202. You're no longer order number 65. Um, and we always have your last name. So when any customer wants to, to, to flag our staff down, we just say, hey, what's the name of your tab? Um, and then when food or drink needs to be run back to that customer, we're not going to go find them another number. Now they're just at a table number. Um, another fun little thing I do, um, and, I, and I doubt a ton of my customers are going to listen to this and, and learn our secrets, but um, our, and I learned this in a, in a book or a podcast like this, but we, uh, our numbers have different colors. Um, we have three different colored number stands. And the numbers rep- represent what kind of customer you are. You're either a first-time customer, you're a regular slash VIP big shot, or you're everybody else. And um, all are equally important. Um, the customers don't know why they got a different colored card. But when I walk through the dining room and I see red cards, and these, of course, are part of our brand color, so it all works together and looks intentional, I know who I can focus on, who I can talk to first. Um, and it helps me more effectively manage the restaurant and puts everyone's antenna up on my staff. It's oh, that's another layer of communication. So you know who you have right there in front of you. It's just data, right? Yeah. So you can yeah. know how to yeah. handle, handle that the situation. Did I cut you off? I apologize. There's a little of a lag there. No, that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. Um, it. And then the other thing we're really trying to encourage and this culture is very popular in the Austin bar districts is, is encouraging people just to walk out when they're done. Just walk out. We'll add 18% gratuity. Um, and so the, the process on our menu and the flow, and there's a big sign in the restaurant, it's open up, post up, hang out, walk out, open up a tab, post up and stay as long as you want. Our food's going to come out in five minutes. Without um, that closure, you, food, sorry, keep going. That, keep I'm going. just saying like the way we do our food, we're, we, we use a smoker to smoke everything. Now it doesn't taste like smoky barbecue, but we have this state of the art indoor smoker that um, basically imparts flavor on food. Then, so that it's already cooked and it's cooked healthily because you're not using oil or salt to create this tenderness. And so we have food that comes out so fast, like food coming out faster than drinks usually means the bar's backed up. At industry, it's just because our food is so fast. Um, but while our food's going to come quickly, we want you to step three, hang out, stay a while, stay for three hours. Yeah. You know, make this your spot that I want this to be a glorified coffee shop and it's already functioning that way. Um, and so with Todd's food and this atmosphere, um, I, I've never opened a restaurant where people have come in and so been so universally been appreciative of what we're doing. And part of that's the market in Austin. We're all amateur food critics. And when a new restaurant opens, we come in with our pen and paper and find a way to pick it apart. And that's just natural. And in this town, people are coming in saying, 
thank you. Thank you for trying. Thank you for trying to do something, um, you know, cutting edge. Um, you're going to make some mistakes and we're not happy with everything, but we're happy that you're trying. And um, the feedback has just been, it's really put the wind at our backs. Beautiful. I'm tempted to ask you more questions, but I've already made a decision that you're coming back on the show uh, when I'm down there in Austin. I'll be there in a few weeks. Uh, so I want to respect your time. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Uh, this conversation has been awesome, Harlan. We'll be right back. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotion code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price all right i have a question for you how can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant hmm well for starters fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated 40 billion in losses in the u.s in 2017 alone and this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to EthicsSuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success uh authenticity authenticity what is your biggest weakness oh man um you said you I, had I, a lot of weaknesses earlier in the uh, interview. Yeah, you know, I, I think if anything is 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 probably insecurity of, of of how others others receive me. I'm so ooh, I got a book uh, for you. Yeah. Uh, well, that makes me always a better person every day. I go home every day and rewind and say, hey, how could I have interacted with that person better? Have you heard of the um, Four Agreements? Was that? Have you heard of the Four Agreements? The book, the no. Four Agreements. I thought that one's right up your alley. Uh, check it out. What's a right. current challenge today? My biggest challenge today? Yeah. Uh, Staying relevant. How are you dealing with that challenge? How do I deal with that challenge? Uh, Continue to be authentic, as I talked about earlier, and and, and connect with each individual so that they remember you uh, more than just surface level. Beautiful. Uh, What is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building that team? 
what do you want to do in two years? Where do you want to be? Like, what are, what are your life goals? What are you looking for? Yeah. What, what, are you what am I looking for? for? Yeah. I'm looking for somebody that um, has ambition and dreams beyond um, maybe what I'm necessarily providing for them. I do not want an employee that is hinging all of their livelihood on me providing for them. I'm going to provide them the income and a good work environment, but I am not going to personally fill their hopes and dreams. Um, so I want to know that they have other irons in the fire, even if it's in my line of work. I want to open my own restaurant one day. Perfect. Love to hear that. You know, but you I don't want to hear, oh, I want to, you know, I, I want to be your general manager within two years and make six figures. Um, I can't can't give you the world that quickly. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> uh, so you're just looking to see if their, their expectations are realistic. And if you can help them on a, a path, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, man. Uh, share yeah. one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be, a way to act. Mm. Core value. Uh, I mean, I think back to communication, be transparent. And that goes back to being authentic. You know, this all ties together. Beautiful. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is uh, a way to go above and beyond what's expected in your four walls. Um, I, I think this again, it all ties together is communication and giving the guests an explanation a little bit more than they're used to. Don't, don't cover it up and hide it and be Wizard of Oz style about what's happening in the restaurant. Be real with the customer. What's one book that's a must read to make us a better restaurant owner or operator? Um, I think rocket fuel is a great one. Um, and that's just understanding, uh, you know, in an organization that it takes different components. You need a creative, brilliant person, but you also need an integrator to tie it all together in a bow. Um, you can't do it on your own. Yes. And it kind of reminds me of the e-myth. Uh, he says you need, there's four different types of people, the entrepreneur, the manager, uh, and the, the technician, maybe it's three people. I can't remember, but you need all those elements and it's, you're a freak of nature if you're good at all those at all those things. So, and that's another reason why I think partnerships are so key because like yeah. you can't be good at it all. So you need to lean on other people. Um, oh God, my partners, I, I would uh, lose my mind. <laughs> is there like one tool that like is just blowing your world right now that you wish you had earlier or you knew of earlier? Uh, Amazon prime. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm telling you, I would have to hire an entire extra manager if I did not have the ability to get every single thing I need with the moment I think of it within, within two days. I mean, the amount of errands, it would have taken me an extra three months to open this restaurant. Um, so I know this is a silly answer, but it's completely changed what opening a restaurant and running a restaurant means. Awesome. It's <laughs> I love it. uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? They, uh, they, they don't, they don't focus on culture. They don't create systems. They just talk to guests and cook food and they have fun and that isn't sustainable. What is one piece of technology technology that you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on uh, processes or like efficiency, uh, communication, profitability, things like that? Uh, you know, obviously we're we're using you know the best uh, POS software right now we we can find. We're really happy with Toast. That's been huge. Um, running things in the cloud, which I know is an overused word, but being able to um, you know for all my systems to talk to each other, my payroll, my scheduling. Um, and my POS to all have a conversation. Um, again, it's, 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 it's made running a restaurant fun and not tedious. Beautiful. This is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? 
Right. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? The three things you know to be true. Uh, I, I, and I, this is probably the third time I've said this, but you know, be authentic, be genuine to a fault, love unconditionally, even if it's going to get you hurt. Um, I'd rather be hurt than ever hurt someone. Um, and uh, shoot, uh, man, I, I think it's just those two. <laughs> That's all, I got. all right, I'll take them. You've been great, man. This is, was an awesome conversation. I wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire, maybe somebody or preferably somebody in Austin or in Texas. I'll be there in a couple of weeks, uh, that I should get on the show and share their story. Oh man. Um, I honestly think you'd enjoy talking to Sean. Um, you know, he, he, his career is about six, seven, 10 years ahead of mine. So, um, you know, so much more perspective there. Um, I think another, um, obviously you already talked to Mason. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think on that one. Yeah, well, I, I have so many mentors and friends that have helped me uh, get where I am. Um, Sean, I, I, look out. I'm coming anyone. after you, man. And uh, we'll have plenty of time to catch up when I'm in Texas. I'll take any leads you can throw at me, man. You uh, were right. a great guest. And hopefully we can get you back on the show while I'm out there too. All right. And how, and how, can, how can the folks at home connect with you if, if we want to follow up with any questions we had uh, or they just maybe want to come join your team? What's the best way to connect? Uh, well, our restaurant is is industry, and that's uh, industrytx.com, um, and that has a little more narrative about who we are and my two partners, which um, I wish I could have spoken more about today because uh, I'm really nowhere without them. But uh, my, my consulting website is, is my name, Harlan Scott, hospitality.com, and again, that really expands upon um, what I'm passionate about, what I think it takes to uh, be successful in this business and in life. And is there a Twitter handle I can throw in the show notes? Uh, I'm not big on Twitter. I'm huge on Instagram. I would say Instagram. Um, and, I don't know why. Is it? Sorry, go yeah. for it. Oh, Instagram. It's, it's Harlan Harlan Brando, like Marlon Brando, but H A R L A N B R N D O. It's a, it's an inside joke. It's a nickname I got. <laughs> Beautiful. This is episode 544. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com/slash five four four, and I'll have a link to anything, any tool service I was recommended today as long as, as well as a, a summary of today's discussion over there and how to connect with Harlan. Harlan, Scott, thank you again for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge. There is no questioning, my friend. You are unstoppable. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Harlan Scott dropping bombs of knowledge left and right. I really love this conversation, man. I think the key takeaways for me in today's chat, uh, discipline to create systems and processes being the thing that separates good restaurants from great restaurants. Hey, you can only handle so much on your own. If you're the only reason, if you yourself are the reason why that restaurant's successful because of the things you can do then you'll never be able to scale it because you can only be in so many places at once you need to create systems processes procedures to make your business depend on those things and not you so you can get out there and you can educate and teach and work on your business and not in your business and develop other projects uh huge lesson there also i really loved our conversation today around uh you know equity Harlan went out and he built two restaurant groups or he helped build two restaurant groups uh, and he got paid really well. He got taken care of really well, but 
there's no job security in that. Uh, you need equity. You need an asset. You need things. You need you need more than just a paycheck uh, to really become successful in this industry. So if you're good at this, if you got what it takes to run and build restaurants, if you're running and building restaurants and making somebody else's dream come true, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, get out there, work for other people. Uh, learn these skills, but eventually, if you really want to make it in this industry, you need to have skin in the game. And I think Harlan went about it right. He he went to the owner of this restaurant group and said, "Hey, I want equity, uh, and I'm worth it. And here are all the things, you know, the reasons why I'm worth it. And you know, in this circumstance, it didn't work out for him, but he was smart to go out and do his own thing. And uh, that's really how you're going to make it in this industry is by having those assets." Uh, Yep. All right, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore, Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming up to 150 five star reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much if you had left one. And if you're going to leave one, thank you in advance. But the best way to support this podcast and this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing it. Let's get this thing going. Let's build this into a movement. Let's build this into a, a community. You're welcome to join. All right, guys, that's all for now. I love you all. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>